Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Peace, peace, everybody. You are tuned in to Caras Lindas. We are your hosts, Manuel and Giselle, on Full Service Radio. Caras Lindas is a show where we explore the intersections of blackness and Latinx identity. And here on Caras Lindas, every week we shed light on the neglected stories of Afro-Latinx community, not just here in D.C., but of the African diaspora worldwide. And in today's episode, we will introduce who is Hijo Nativo and Alma Negra. Yes. Que somos nosotros. Somos nosotros. <laughs> but, you know, we want to make sure y'all know who we are. Um... And so, like we've done thus far with all of our episodes, you know, we here, we are building a narrative nation, right? So we asked all of our guests to tell us in the form of a story that is unconventional, personal, um, and maybe that someone close to them doesn't even know, right? Um, that is emblematic or reflects some aspect of their experience. So, hijo nativo, I want to ask you two questions, okay? <laughs> One, because I don't know if people know, but Hijo Nativo is, is the, um, the Frankenstein, okay? The mastermind behind Caras Lindas. You conceptualized <laughs> all of this. You, you brought both of us here today, Kinda. okay? How Caras Lindas? Tell us about the history of, of those two words and how they came to you. Well, first, Hijo Nativo is Ralph Ellison's book, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Native Son. And so... I admired that book because it took me so long to read it. Um, and so um, I took on that name, Hijo Nativo, um, because I, I feel like I'm, I'm bigger Thomas. Y para las caras lindas, it's just an iconic Afro-Latino black song of Latin America sung by Ismael Rivera, um, composed by Tete Cure Alonso. And it's just a beautiful song that describes what we want to do here in the show, which is, you know, somos la melaza que vive, la melaza que llora. You know what I mean? So it's like we want to tell all those stories and feel pride um, about who we are. And what, when was the first time you heard Caras Lindas? Do you Ooh, my uncle, my uncle, my uncle, is, he... Él es un historiador eh, salsero, sonero. Um, entonces, he introduced me to those songs of Ismael Rivera. The first song I heard is, Quítate de la Villa Perico. And um, I fell in love with all, everything he was saying, um, including all the bombas and plenas. Um, I didn't even know what that genre was, but I loved it so much. Um, yeah. Wow. Y Alma Negra, háblame de, de Alma Negra. ¿Cómo, ¿Cómo tú llegas? Primero, ¿cómo tú escribes ese poema que tú... Bueno, ese, ese that hip-hop mm. rap. Uh, how, how did they come up to you? And then, you know, how did... What, what does Alma Negra mean to you? Wow. 
And then and then I want to also get to Caras Lindas because I, I have a story oh, yeah. about that too. But um, Alma Negra, man. So to start, I am blessed to know a beautiful, beautiful sister from D.C. who we interviewed um, here on Caras Lindas called Falani, named Falani Africa. Um, she's an amazing filmmaker, right? And so, Falani, we've known each other since I was 10 years old. You know, she watched me grow up. Um, and then when I decided to go to Howard, you know, she kind of really took me under her wing and under her mentorship and said, you know, sis, like, you know, she kind of saw some of the things that I was going through in my life and I feel like really just wanted to, to give me exposure, you know. And she saw that I was a busybody. It's like, yo, sis, like, you know, come, come help me with the things that I'm doing. Um, and so... For her beautiful film um, entitled Maestrina da Favela, which is about an Afro-Brazilian percussionist um, named Ellie, she held these fundraisers in the summer of, I think, 2017. Um, I believe it was 2017. She would have these Alma Negra sets, right? And they were crazy. I mean, every time anybody who attended an Alma Negra set can tell you that it was just love. Um, it, it would be, sometimes we would have a, a guest performer or a guest band, or it would be an open mic, you know. I mean, she really just uh, curated every single set uh, uniquely. And so, right before I was about to leave to study abroad in Dominican Republic, I said to myself, like, yo, this space, like, Falani and the Alma Negra set has really made my summer what it is, you know. And I was just so grateful. I just felt like I couldn't leave without giving something to her into the set and I also just felt like the space was filled it was genuine love like people that were coming out were coming to support her you know it was a fundraiser but I feel like it was so genuine that people were so willing to give their time and and whatever they could that I was like you know I don't know if everybody really knows like how deep this is you know what I'm saying like what this is about so I told myself I had to write a fire 16 for Alma Negra, you know what I'm saying? And so I wrote the piece and decided that I would perform it that night um, at my last Alma Negra set. Fast forward to 2019 when we meet, right, and decide to do this whole thing. We bring Falani on, um, and we talked about it a little bit on that episode. But after that, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to share the rap today. Like, it's, it's only right. And then after you put... <laughs> put that segment of the rap on Instagram, you know, you were like, I'm Alma Negra. And I was like, dang. Well, I guess, I mean, Alma Negra means black soul in Spanish and in Portuguese. So even just thinking about the work that I want to do in myself as an artist, it's like, as an artist, as an organizer, as a person, it's all about uplifting the black soul, you know, our collective black spirit and who we are as black people. So I was like, dang, like, I gotta do it. If Mandy's saying it, if Falani's saying it fits me, you know, if it really does fit and feel like me, then I gotta do it, you know? And um, with Caras Lindas, woo! So uh, Caras Lindas, again, that song is by Ismael Rivera, El Sonero Mayor, who my father, um, my father is an incredible musician, hip-hop artist, DJ, like, does everything. You know, my whole family come from people that dance and really live and breathe salsa, reggae, like, all of it. You know what I'm saying? Everything that is black music from anywhere, we know about it. You know what I'm saying? So I grew up listening to the song and, and singing it, you know. Las caras lindas de mi gente negra. Son un desfile de melaza en flor. Like, that was, that was all the time. Every Saturday, every Sunday. You know what I'm saying? And so, he just, 
and most of his music, I will say, is, is very declarative. Like, that was a really proud black man who I think really just, you know, in that time when Salsa is coming up, he's just trying to let, let, let America know. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not, we're not going to sing what you want me to sing. I'm going to sing about my people and I'm going to sing about my reality. You know, so to me, it also just means a lot. And that's why I was so down to do this with you because I'm, oh, oh we on the same way. You know what I'm saying? Because we know the origin. And I remember even being in Dominican Republic and playing this for people. You got to say I'm the like, section, though. Okay. <laughs> I was in Santiago de los Caballeros, which is up north. You know what I'm saying? So it's a lot. So there's a lot less melanin on that side. Um, so I'm playing the song, and I'm like, y'all don't know this song? They're like, nah. I'm like, how? How? And even my dad was like, man, them, they should be blasting that song at every function, at every party, anywhere. You know, that, that should, it's, it's like a, as you could say, like an Afro-Latino anthem, you know, for sure. And I think, I would hope that most of us, you know, know that song. But, so, just to reiterate, we are on Caras Lindas. That's Caras Lindas podcast that explore Afro-Latinidad, memory, cultural resistance, and activism aquí in Washington, this D.C., yeah. in the DMV. Yeah. And we're talking about uh, Almas Negras. And hijo nativo um, and um, our upbringings here in this area. Yeah, this is this is a multicultural jungle, yeah, the DMV. Right. You know what I'm saying? This is not an ordinary place to grow up. You know, we have a little bit of everything here. Um, so, hijo nativo, I, I want to know a little bit about about your life growing up here in DC, about your background, your family. What part? What part of DR are you from? Uh, <laughs> just so just so people know. Yeah, no, no, we from. Uh, well, my my people are from San Pedro Macorís. But I was uh, raised and born in Santo Domingo, and we do know Las Caras Linda de Mi Gente Negra, that song, in, 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 in the capital. Um, but yeah, um, D.C. has been uh, so giving to me. Everyone has embraced me, and particularly um, African Americans have embraced me when I came. My best friend was African American. We didn't understand each other, but, you know, uh, we knew, you see? So... Um, and it just happens that, you know, uh, you know, through activism and my passion being, you know, uh, youth and African people of the, uh, of the diaspora, you know, we, we um, took up uh, the D.C. Afro-Latino Caucus as, you know, an organization. Wow. That's amazing. And so where did you, but tell, tell us about like... Not just your schooling, right? But where do you feel like, um, you know, your formation comes from? Because Dominicans catch a lot of hell. Mm. You know what I'm saying? For not, like, you got, just, y'all can't see us. Maybe you can. <laughs> but Manny has Las, Las Vidas Negras Importan on his shirt, okay? So he's, he's very, very clear, solid dude. Where, where do you feel like um, is the difference between you and, and other Dominicans who are, are not trying to hear that we African, they not, you know, not trying to hear none of that? Well, I just think I'm open-minded mm-hmm. about, you know, where I'm from and the people um, that, that, that I see. Um, Dominicans are African-centered anyways. Um, some might deny that they are um, African, but we are African-centered people. There's customs, there's foods. Um, pero para mí, for me, um, I just wear it all out because at an early age, I was kind of like denied that aspect of me, of me, and so I just went really hard. So very young, 
I see you have the afro, the big afro, so I had the big afro. Um, I see the big afro that you have, and I had that big afro. And, um, you know, I just have people, people denied that Africanness from me, and so I just went even harder and uh, made sure that people, that this is not a game, like that, that it's not a fad, it's not a trend for me, it's something serious. I'm African committed, I'm African loyal. Wow. Um, Háblame de, de tu, de tu, háblame de Howard, háblame de Howard de y de Howard. Changó. De Changó, okay. Perdón. Um, well, I'll start with, I guess, my background and how, you know, I kind of came up and what, how, how I even got to Howard, man, because it's been a, a very interesting journey. Um, it hasn't been linear. I wasn't one of those people who like, oh, I want to go to Howard my whole life, or, you know what I'm saying, or even, I knew what Howard was, and I knew uh, what a historically black college and university was. Um, one of my, one of my many beautiful mothers, um, she took me on a tour of Howard's campus in the eighth grade, okay, I started really, really early. Um, but essentially, so I'm actually, I'm born in Silver Spring, Maryland. I was born in Holy Cross Hospital. Yes, I was. Um, I'm a Maryland Bama, all the way, the M of the DMV. Um, but my family, my father is Afro-Colombian, you know, whole family. I got about eight tias that live here in the U.S., hella cousins, you know what I'm saying? Like, our, our, our family is huge. Um, and my mother, she's born here um, in America, but she is half Dominican um, and half Honduran slash El Salvadorian, because my grandmother's born in Honduras, you know what I'm saying, but raised in El Salvador. So, culture, like, but, but black from all of them places, you wow. know what I'm saying? Um, so coming up, it was just very interesting because, like I said, you know, in a few episodes back, we didn't have the term Afro-Latino. And I think my family, my father left Colombia right when, um, you could say, like, the, the, the black power movement there was kind of coming up and surging, right? Uh, around the time of Ley 70, Cimarron, all these different um, organizations that are coming up and really educating the people on our history. You know what I'm saying? Because we, we didn't have access to that prior so he comes here, right? He's already a hip-hop head in Colombia, rocking his afro, doing his thing. He comes here, and it's just like, mine explodes. You know what I'm saying? So he just, I mean, he, he's a really big part of, of my foundation um, and who I am as an artist. And what was I going to say? Ah, um, I feel your like father. My father. How your I father influence. So many things. Um, influenced me greatly, you know, influenced me greatly. But I actually think it's time for a break. We're going to take a quick break, y'all. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Caras Lindas, right? And we'll be right back. We'll be back. We'll be back.
we're back. You tune in to Caras Lindas uh, with Manuel and Giselle on Full Service Radio. This show is about Hijo Nativo and Almas Negras. Um, every week we shed light on the neglected stories of Afro-Latinx community in D.C. and worldwide. Uh, we're talking about mainly about ourselves to introduce to folks you know who we are because we're gonna have a lot of guests but we want to we got to make sure that folks know you know who's 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 alma negra and who's hijo nativo but talk to me about your experience with lift every voice because <laughs> um, i used to sing it in elementary school uh-huh. um but you have a special story about lift every voice because we want to talk about you know music and 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 how that influenced you know how we look at ourselves yeah and um i as y'all bear with us because me and manny i mean we have so many stories yeah. we have so much to say so we're just you know we kind of all over the place bear with us we appreciate y'all um so when i was in elementary school so i'm born and raised in pg well not born but raised in pg county right but after first grade my dad was like nope we're not doing this. You know, I was too hyperactive. I was just kind of, I was one of the bad kids, you know. So he was like, we got to we gotta get you elsewhere. Because I think he felt like at the time PG wasn't a standard. It was, you know, really all just perspective. But um, so I'm in Montgomery County Schools. Because of that, I get to go to this magnet program where they're, like, teaching me about humanities, you know what I'm saying, and arts and different, you know, expressions and things like that. So, but back in elementary school, I remember I was in, like, this gifted and talented program where they would take us, like, outside of our classrooms for, like, an hour to help us, you know, I don't know, learn something additional to the material we were learning in class. And I remember my teacher showing us a video of this beautiful black woman with a fro in, in front of this, on this stage in front of, like, thousands of people at a rally, sing, lift every voice and sing. And it was just quite, like, it was just earth-shattering. I mean, like... I'm sitting here in fourth grade, just like Google Gaga, like I could, I hadn't seen anything like it in my life. And fast forward to sixth grade, they give us a project where we have to create like a CD, you know, kind of like a compilation of songs that mean something to us um, and that we feel like are symbolic of our lives. And I found it. Um, and one of the songs on my list was Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem. And that to me meant a lot because I just feel like like I told you, since we didn't have the term Afro-Latino growing up and I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, nobody's explaining to kids in elementary or middle school what the transatlantic slave trade is. Nobody's explaining to us, you know, how we are being separated all across this, you know, how, how we are literally being brainwashed, you know what I'm saying, and stripped of our identity on a, a global level. So I know that my family's black, but I'm confused because I speak Spanish, you know, we eat like... There are these similarities, but there's clearly a difference because I'm treated differently and people see me differently. So what is going on? So I think and I think nowadays where black culture is being appropriated, you know, on a really large scale and you have a lot of Afro Latinos who are, you know, kind of picking it. Picking and choosing, you know, like that's a whole other conversation. But so I think (laughs) I had to reflect and ask myself, like, how long I've been black? How long Mm. have I been talking this stuff? And, you know, going back and finding that it was like, okay, like reset, like I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Because. It, it, for me as a child to see that and be like, yo, that's my people. That's yeah. my story. I'm born in this country. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, that's something that I even want to get more into is terminology, you know, because mm. I consider myself an African-American. I consider myself an, you know, a, a black woman first and foremost. I consider myself an Afro-Latina, but it's like, what 
and not wanting to box myself in because I don't I don't care what they want to call me, you know. Mm. But it's like so that's that's a thing. You um, are what you call yourself. I'm, I am what I call myself. Yeah, and so I remember getting to Howard, <laughs> and seeing people having to learn lift every voice and sing i'm like how did i not know the black national anthem meanwhile i know not just the first verse honey but the second verse you know <laughs> what i'm saying and not to say that makes anybody more or less yeah. black because you know we not everybody's given that privilege and i know you talked about how growing up you had to sing that in school for us no sir yeah. not at all i learned it that one time in fourth grade and never forgot it raymond elementary uh garnett patterson on u street Wow. Those were the places we sang that song hard. All black teachers, all black um, music teachers in particular, because you, you have to understand when we, in these spaces, the music teachers, the art teachers are black, and they really, honk, like they told us, you know, you got to sing this song. Mm. Um, yeah, so Manny, talk to me about your work. <laughs> like, I know we're all over the place. Wait, I want to get this in. Um, you have, you do so much, so many different things, and you're so low-key, such a down-to-earth person that I don't know if everybody even knows the 10 million bajillion things that you do. Ooh. <laughs> um, so, you know, we run the D.C. Afro-Latino Caucus. I'm the chair of the, of the caucus, and we do a lot of educational programs for the community in terms of Afro-Latinidad, uh, making sure that we are in all the spaces that white Latinos are in. Um, so we, we are advocate towards that. Um, and we, we try to educate ourselves and empower ourselves to, you know, to be braver, to, you know, to comfort us, to, you know, talk about our traumas, you know what I'm saying? But also, you know, heal, you know, because yeah. that's important. Um, so that's Afro-Latino Caucus. Um, and we do this uh, Caras Lindas podcast, which is, you know, trying to bring those stories, the, the educational programs that we do with DC Afro-Latino Caucus, try to bring this into this medium called podcasting. And so we bring folks here so that um, we share their stories. That's the most important part of this podcast that, you know, we share each other's stories and talk about our commonalities and maybe our differences, but know that, you know, we come from the Americas, mm -hmm. you know, um, this hemisphere is the Americas and we, you know, we, we have more, more uh, similar things than differences and trying to, you know, have that king, kinship, you know, um, that you're my cousin and I'm my, and you are my cousin, you know what I'm saying? And trying to educate ourselves um, and not be so rigid into into thinking about like language, you know what I mean? Like, you know, our, the colonizer language, and um, think about like what we do share. Yeah. So that's DC Afro Latino and the the podcast. But there's more. But talk to me about Chango and you know what the the initiative with the Timbuktu school. Timbuktu, yes. Um. So this year, well, I, I studied abroad in Colombia, um, oh my gosh, spring of 2019, from January to June, man. Um, I got to do an Afro-Colombian-centered program, you know what I'm saying, where most of my courses were like um, crime and justice, um, ethnicity, identity, like territorial conflicts, you know, just really kind of understanding and dissecting what, what is the situation of Afro-Colombians. And man, we need an entire, I don't even know how many episodes, a lecture series on that because 
what is happening to our people in Colombia is serious. You know, it is, it is a serious, like, human rights issue. Like, it, it's a state of emergency, quite frankly. And I think something that I've been struggling with, you know, is really figuring out um, how, how to bring more attention to that, right, with, with what I do know and the resources that I do have. And so while I was there, um, the former president of Shango, which is the Afro-Latinx Cultural Society at Howard, she reached out to me and said, yo, you know, because we had been friends, we had known each other from Howard. She reaches out to me and is like, yo, do, do you want to do this when you come back? And I'm like, sure. Um, but while I was over there, I had the privilege of working with this amazing group of youth. So the one of the best public universities in Colombia is in Cali, where I was, where my family is from. Um, it's called Univalle. And there is a collective called CALUBE, which stands for Colectivo Afrodescendiente Pro Derechos Humanos Bencos Vive, which Ooh. is a mouth load. But it looks cool, CALUBE. You know, you just say that once. You know, they, they gear is fly. They whole set up. Like, they are not just fly. They are official. And, I mean, you will be amazed to see. It's all college students. I mean, they run the scholarships for, for all the black youth at the university. They have a Saturday school. Every Saturday at 8 a.m., I was in that joint teach English. You know what I'm saying? I was the advanced English instructor because I was a native speaker. Um, and what's dope about the setup is that it's open to all community members. Like, I'm telling you, I had students from ages 10 to, like, they, there was a 70-year-old blind man. You know what I'm saying? Who was there and had, um, I think it was his nephew with him to, you know, kind of help him through the class. But amazing just amazing amazing work really trying to to bring access to the community it was free by the way um and then they would also have like empowerment lectures so and you go in their office and it's malcolm x you know what i'm saying it's it's nanny from jamaica it's stokely it's like um steve biko like the the whole setup it was just it blew my mind you know what i'm saying to see the people that they had on it like you know the, their knowledge like they telling me like have you read race class and gender by angela davis i'm like damn i haven't like <laughs> I, I can't say that i have you know what i'm saying and um just got super inspired so fast forward to now i'm back at howard and working with them you know they telling me like yo we want to despite me telling them that howard is not an oasis right mm. like howard has its issues it has its issues Still, you know, they they are very, very eager to get um, to get the experience at a historically black college university because that's something unique that black people have here in this country. You know what I'm saying? We don't have that elsewhere. So they're just telling me, like, gee, everybody's asking me how we can get to Howard. We got to make this happen. So I'm like, okay. So we've kind of um, been in that process, and it's been, it's been interesting, you know, kind of feeling like um, – we need resources, you know what I'm saying? We need funding to be able to fly them out to then have, you know, the certain setup. And you, you would expect it to be a lot easier. Um, but we are working, and uh, thankfully, you know, certain opportunities have prevented them, uh, presented themselves recently at, that I really feel like are, are going to be able to help us push this forward. Because even my friends over there, they're like, we don't want, like, Howard is cool, but we want to go to Africa. We just want to mm. make that very clear. You know what I'm saying? So just how we can build essentially like a network um, for black youth to help them study abroad all over the place, you know, creating kind of like a, a traveling classroom, you know, where we just get to really know each other and um, work and just build because it's so necessary. And like you said, language is, it's, right. it's, it's a barrier that we're working on, you know, but they're taking English classes, you know, people over here are learning, so. I just want to remind folks that we are, li you're listening to Caras Linda's podcast. We explore blackness in Latin America and in the DMV, and we're talking about Almas Negras and Hijo Nativo, the two co-hosts here. Um, and I just want to 
uh, ask folks if you are if you if you want to help bring black youth. Um, please contact us at Caras Lindas Everything so that we can make that happen, so that we can bring those young people, those black people um, here to Howard. Um, talk to me, talk to us about, um, because you, you touched it a little bit about what's happening in Colombia, but like, you know, what what's happening to black and indigenous folks that are organizing over there and that are being killed intentionally? Um. In the first 10 days of 2020 alone, 10 human rights activists were murdered in Colombia. And um, I mean, the numbers are just, since since I really became aware of the issue, there have been hundreds, 700, 800, like hundreds of activists are murdered in Colombia um, every month, all the time. Like, because there are a lot of Afro-Colombians that live on the Pacific coast, right? And on the Pacific coast, it's... I mean, to say that it's a rich region, it's... It, interestingly enough, right, in Colombia, there's kind of this dynamic or this um, stigmatization of the Pacific Coast as being poor, as, you know, being destitute, as um, and being black, right? Like, those things are, are equated. Um, but the Pacific Coast is not poor. It is very rich. It's rich in minerals. It's rich in resources, gold, food. You could plant anything and it'll grow. Um, there's rivers, like... Uh, diff- uh, unique types of um, limber. I want to say limber, metal. but mark metal. You know what I'm saying? All of these different things. The Pacific Coast is not poor. There are just the go- the Colombian government, as well as uh, other governments, U.S. governments, international governments, are stealing. You know what I'm saying? And really just going mining, doing illegal mining, fracking, like all of these really terrible things. That aside from them coming in and literally displacing these people from their territory. The activists who are fighting to keep their land and to, because oh, that's why I said this needs like it's a lot, you know. Because to give you a little bit of history, in ninety one, in ninety one, they signed Le Setenta, which was the first time the Colombian government even acknowledges the Afro Colombians uh, and indigenous folks as well are even a part of their country. You know what I'm saying? Like prior to that, the Colombian Constitution said we are one God, we speak one language, and we are one race. Like that. that that's literally what it said. So you get this 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 black power, and, and to, to make it very clear that you have people like Manuel Zapata Olivella and um, Luis Cordova, who Diego Cordova, I'm sorry, who have been working since the '40s, declaring, "We are here, we are black, we are proud. You can't do this to us." You know what I'm saying? Um, but in '91, there's kind of just this this resurgence of of a movement, and they create what's called Consejos Comunitarios. That's on paper, supposed to give black people more control of the territory and says that you can't build, there are certain things that you cannot do on their land without their permission. But so then what can I do? I just, I can murder you. I don't value your life. And that is, you know, black lives matter. They don't matter here in the U.S. to certain people and they don't matter abroad to certain people. You know what I'm saying? And so it's, it's very systematic. It's very intentional. And it's, it's just wild. I mean, like the, the layers are ridiculous and it's you know it's not just that the activists it's the children you know what i'm saying like mm. on the pacific coast they their access to clean like to basic necessities they don't have to mm. basic education they don't have and you know they recruit like without saying it, like it's just it's a, it's lot, a lot man mm. and it's, it's just really painful because i think people are becoming more aware of it but it, it, it's it's almost like both governments are kind of are kind of laughing um 
at us because there are packs being signed. There are people who are trying to do work who on paper, you know, are, are creating these agreements to better the condition of black life here in the U.S. and in Colombia and for there to be a greater exchange. And we still see these things continuing to happen. So, yeah, leadership, you know, leadership being killed is is, is some terrible. Yeah. But just just to keep going in terms of Colombia, because we feel Colombia is very important. Yeah. Um, just like Honduras is very important with um, Berta Cáceres and, and, and the Garifuna folks over there. Um, what can we do? Mm-hmm. What could folks do that are listening now or that, that, are, that will listen? What could they do? to make sure que la vida negra es importa. Um, what, what, what could we do? That's a tough question, because like, I, I even thinking about, so Brazil and Colombia, mo- most people know, you know, have the two largest populations of people of African descent outside of Nigeria, you know, not even just Africa. And so my teacher or my professor, you know, said to me, with this government, what, like, what is getting through? You get what I'm saying? And I feel like we can't rely on governments. They're not... They're not trying to serve us. They are not for us and are for our destruction, are for our peril. So I feel like what we can do, there's this one, shout out to the African Diaspora Alliance, okay? My sis Jasmine, um, Jasmine Hall and her partner, whose name is escaping me right now, um, they're doing a, a lot of work to just spread awareness about the issue. There are all of these different um Looking up different activists, just, you know, I think knowing who they are and continue to spread awareness about their being and just say something. Like, at this point, all we have to do is make sh- all we can do is make sure the, m- the more people know, the better, like, and really understand because it's, it's being hidden. And I just, I think I sometimes I get, I, I struggle because I feel like, you know, I'm young, I'm one person. And um, someone that, I mean, I'm so passionate about, about black people and about helping people that sometimes... I feel like I, I'm gonna be the one to do it all, and that's impossible. Like I'm, so I struggle with that strategizing and being organized and really being on my toes and on point to be able to do something and being ready that when the opportunity, so be it, you know, presents itself that like you know we're ready, we're ready to fight. So well, it's a tough say, question, man. I could say just just you know because I I known you for a little bit, and I I will say that you are ready for whatever you know may come. You are ready. So I just want to affirm that Thank to you. you. <laughs> Thank you, Manny. Thank you, man. Manny, okay. So I want you to talk to me about um, this initiative that you are currently doing with Ola. We are honoring a lot of Afro-Latinx people this month. I know this is like a bluff, but um, on the celebration part, because I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of black people are, we're struggling right now globally. We've been struggling, but right. I feel like, with media and with technology and the way things are changing, we see it a lot more. And I think we're um, we're becoming desensitized. We're just so in pain at constantly seeing black bodies murdered, just, you know, constantly seeing us in agony that we want to see ourselves celebrated more. We want to see yeah. ourselves humanized, you know, and that's part of the work that you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Not just as an activist, but as an artist. So talk to us about that work. So the campaign is called Caras Lindas DC, mm-hmm. um, and we're working with uh, the Office of Latino Affairs, uh, we're working with Trabajadores Unidos and and the DC Afro Latino Caucus to really um, shine or highlight uh, important leaders in our community from all ranges and classes and gender. Um, and so 
um, this is our seventh day. Um, and so we're going to just keep putting, you know, uh, leaders that are in the DMV, but in particular Washington, D.C., um, and also to also bring another perspective, right? So we always talk about, you know, Martin Luther King. We always talk about Malcolm X. But we should, we should also be celebrating folks that are living, folks that, you know, do the day-to-day things and um, celebrate them for, you know, being black and, you know, just helping out folks on a regular basis. So that, that's, that's bringing visibility uh, and bringing those stories forward to, you know, white Latinos and just the mainstream, you know? So. And what do you feel like? I mean, I feel like it, it kind of bleeds, you know, through everything that we talk about. Exactly. But um, what right now, one, one right, what right now do you feel like is motivating you the most to continue this work and to juggle all of these things at once? And also, what, what project are you looking forward to most in 2020? Well, well let's answer the most. Um, what I'm... The project that I'm, that I'm looking for the most is the D.C. Afro-Latino Festival um, and trying to organize and coordinate and build that. Um, so, again, if you want to help with that, um, please get at us at Las Caras Lindas on everything, Caras Lindas podcast on everything. everything. Um, we want to celebrate all, the, all different uh, Afro-descendants. Um, with music, um, we're trying to build uh, Afro-Latino curriculum so that um, possibly uh, the K K to nine charter schools and public schools can celebrate along with the festivals, so that we can get our babies to really understand um, who these you know pioneers, um, these um, leaders in our communities that that really. Um, have done so much for us. Um, and so um, I want to, we want to build a curriculum so that they can see that it reflects who they are. Because usually um, you were talking about, and I'll go back to why I'm talking about this, but you were talking about like, you know, in elementary, you didn't see, you didn't feel like people, or you were... Um, Nada. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? So... That, that, that is also what motivates me because we know that there are uh, black Latino babies that are growing up and they might not be seeing, you know, their teachers that look like them, um, their, their, their uh, baseball, you know, court coach that don't look like them, their soccer players that don't look that, like them, but there are, you know, Afro-Latinos and black Latinos and just people from the African diaspora that do look like them and we need to put it in 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 the forefront so that you know our black babies can see them you know and and feel comfortable in saying that they black and, and latino or just black you know what i'm saying when we talk about afro latino we talk about black people black yeah. comes first yeah so um so that that initiative the dc afro latino festival we really wanted to happen with lots of music um lots of discussions about and it all will happen or hopefully will happen in September um, during Hispanic Heritage Month just to also give it another twist on what Latinidad is supposed to be about, which is multiple, you know, why don't we include indigenous folks in Latinidad? Um, why don't we include black folks in Latinidad? There's always, you know, white Latinos always in the front. 
and we gotta get we gotta we gotta get away from that um so yeah, yeah. that's 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 a project that i'm what about yourself what what are, what are you looking for uh in in this 2020 in 2020 i am definitely most looking forward to um organizing to like really get this program off the ground you know what i'm saying and really just give my brothers and sisters in colombia in um and also i sometimes i'm i want to focus like first you know with by by doing a pilot and just bringing you know this group of students but i i'm I'm thinking bigger you know what i'm saying like timbuktu oh that's another thing i forgot to mention it's called Timbuktu. Like, they named it that. They know what Timbuktu was and that it was the first university in the world. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They know how hard Timbuktu was, and that's how they see themselves and how they see their work. So we want to take Timbuktu HU or just Timbuktu globally. You know what I'm saying? So that that's something that I, I really, really look forward to pouring my all into in 2020. And um, doing more art. Rapping more, singing more, um, writing more, doing more spoken word, just, you know, collaborating a lot more because there are so, so many amazing black people doing work. And I just feel like, you know, in terms of, you know, why people should care about what we're talking about or even any of this is because we, we are a collective black spirit, a collective black soul, you know, una alma negra. And what is, what is it? Um, I'm forgetting the saying, the, the saying right now, you mm. know, but... Together we're stronger. Right. We will always be. You know what I'm saying? And if, if we all united everywhere and really, you know, just tapped into our collective power, we would be unstoppable. We really would. Um, so this has been an episode of Caras Lindas, man, on Full Service Radio, live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. We want to thank y'all so much for tuning in. Please visit LasCarasLindasPodcast.com to learn more about our shows, Talk to us online at Caras Lindas Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Listen and download to this show wherever you listen to your podcast by sharing uh, for Full Service Radio. Thank you for listening, y'all. And Thank you. Peace. Peace. Be blessed.